Welcome to Season 2, Episode 38 of Comic Book Nation, the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host, Kofi Outlaw, and with me today, I got a new team. Well, we just have some people fill it in. Matt Aguilar is usually here, but he is taking a much-needed day off. So I had to bring in some uh, top-notch replacements. We have Mr. Connor Casey back with us. Yes, it's true. I have taken over as the new co-host for the show. I will not be giving up the... I mean, you're here talking about Sorry, damn Max. wrestling. Damn wrestling stuff, like, more and more often enough, it's pretty much going that way. So exactly. welcome back. We kept your chair warm. Uh, producer Jim Viscardi is also here with us. Hello. And you guys haven't met her yet, but we have her with us today. One of our all-around just great ladies on the team, Nicole Drum, is here. Hello, everyone. And, uh, yeah, man, we brought Nicole on because she's – you also, are like, are one of – people don't get to see. Like, we have this, like, real kick-ass elite, like, DC team that people don't get to see. You guys, like, only come out at night, a lot of you. Like, and so, like – because we're day, Batman. Yeah, you guys are like superheroes. You like flood the city at night and keep this site going. Um, and uh, yeah, so we don't get to talk to you guys as much. A lot of you are remote. Um, you, Russ, Burlingame. We've, we've seen Jenna who came on. And uh, yeah, so we want to get more of the people who are like really helping to uh, flex out this team in certain areas on the show so people can see. So we don't get accused of being overly Marvel because we have like a crazy dedicated <laughs> DC squad. So Nicole's here today because she's going to help introduce... The uh, topic of DC's Stargirl, which has been up on DC Universe for a minute. We've been a little busy that I just, I, this was a big deal in like the pre-COVID world and I got lost track of it and now it's out and I'm like trying to catch up on all the episodes. So Nicole's going to break this down for us. Connor is here to break down because we have NXC TakeOver in your house coming up this weekend. And so Connor's going to give us a preview of what's going on in wrestling. And then Jim, I know, has thoughts on all that. But we also got some uh, news items to talk about today. And we're also going to highlight something else that uh, we've all, I've heard us all chattering about lately, which is DC Universe's other kind of new buzzworthy show, which is uh, Harley Quinn Season 2, which has been out for a hot minute, but is really hitting its stride. And like, yeah, now it's time to highlight, highlight Harley Quinn. That's I can't I mean. wait to talk about Harley Quinn. That's my Yeah, it's great. So we're going to talk about Harley Quinn because we've been sleeping on that on the show. So. Let's start at the news items up top. First, I just wanted to kind of get into this. We don't always go into rumor, but I kind of thought this one was interesting, mostly because we have little to talk about, but also because <laughs> it, it is a subject that I know a lot of people are going to feel strongly about. There's a new rumor going around. Heroic Hollywood dropped that Warner Brothers, kind of talking about Warner Brothers' plans for the Batman franchise and the kind of larger plans for the franchise. And uh, one thing that they kind of floated was this idea that Warner Brothers had, you know, there had been the idea for a Bane movie kicked around. And so there's two parts of this. There was an idea for a Bane movie kicked around, but that, that idea got shot down in favor because Warner Brothers, uh, Bane is kind of like Batman, like Warner Brothers wants to be able to bring him out into kind of major event things where they want. And it seems like we have an indication or a rumor of an indication of where that could be which is in a sequel to The Batman. Um, so let's take both sides of this. How do you guys feel about Bane in general? Uh, you know, excluding Harley Quinn, which we're going to talk about later. So no Bane, Harley Quinn. Uh, uh, yeah. That's the best version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Look, but, I, uh, think, uh, I think a Bane spinoff movie veers too much off into 
uh, Sony Spider-Man land for, for my liking in that, like, I don't know uh, if, like, it, you know, it makes sense to do Joker, right? That's a, it's a, if there were any other characters to do, like, that is the one to do. Bane, who in every interpretation we've got of that character has, um, you know, he's not, he's not anyone's favorite villain. He's, you know, he's probably on pe- people's favorite villain list. I don't think he's many people's favorite villain. Of course, now everyone's going to tell me he's my favorite villain. I like Bane, but like I said, it's, you know, is he my favorite? No. It, I don't know if it's a story we need that like if they're if they are going to make this as part of a larger franchise then it's definitely not i don't think it's a story that we need uh if it is a a take like a, it would have to be so di- not divergent but it would have to be pretty radical of uh, a shift i think for it to even make sense but to me it just feels too much like you know uh what sony's trying to do with their spider-man stuff well, well the, the see i'm problem like, with Oh, no, go ahead, Connor. Well, the problem with Bane in live action is that we've seen two interpretations of them and neither of them are loyal to the comic version. You know, it, it, every version we've seen so far of him is a take. He's either a big lumbering brute performed by a WCW wrestler, if you can believe it, or <laughs> whatever the hell they were trying to do with Tom Hardy. If they actually wanted to present the Nightfall version of him or even the Tom King version, where we go into his background behind just how brutal his childhood was in Santa Prisca. That's something. I don't think that's enough for his own movie. though. See, I'm kind of like, weirdly enough, I'm the, I'm like the polar opposite of you guys. <laughs> like I thought Joker was a risky move. I was like 50, yep. 50 on that. When yeah. that happened, I was like, you yeah. are opening a can of worms, but they pulled it off and they convinced me. And I started thinking like, okay, well, what other Batman villains would this be like cool for? And it's, I could see them trying to do like Riddler movies and stuff. And like, I'm like, uh, I don't know if about that. There's only two of them that would, or three of them that would really stand out as worth a movie. And that'd be like Rachel Ghoul, uh, Victor Freeze. Yeah. And, and Bane was my third one because Vengeance <laughs> of Bane, I, maybe I'm just because I'm a nineties kid and I like Nightfall was like one of the biggest events of my childhood, but Vengeance of Bane is like a great meaty story. Like that is one of the most fleshed out DC comics villain stories in origins. Like you have on record and it's been developed. Tom King did a great job kind of also laying more depth into that. And so I actually think you do have a a kind of good story about like some kid who grew up and had to be in this prison environment and kind of learn these things. And that's only the first part. You don't have to like make a whole prison movie, but it's a, it's Spanish set. It's like set in Latin America. It's different kind of culturally. Um, There's a lot of great stuff you could do. There's a lot of things in Bane, like with luchador culture, that's you could start to like weave into a movie a little bit deeper to how he becomes the, you know, puts on the mask and creates the whole persona. Um, All that stuff. it, it, It could be really good. And then kind of moving into, how he becomes a crime boss and, and like what he does to kind of like take over the streets, earn his gang. Cause I love the gang, like from the nineties, I love like zombie and like uh, Falcon dude and like all those guys, like, and him just kind of forming like a crazy crew and things like that. And like a gang and, you know, surviving and becoming a power mob boss. Like that's, that's a cool story if you do it right. 
Now that you're talking about it a bit, like I can definitely see it like a Sicario kind of vibe or look yes. to, to that kind yeah. of movie. I mean, it's like I about think. prison culture. I mean, it'd be about like the deeper part of it would be just about like the Latin world, you know, the crime world, like what culture is like with criminals and prison and that whole different world that we don't know about. You kind of weave that into it and, you know, you go to South America, you film some things, get some tax credits, make it happen, you know. See, that could work, but then you got to remember that so much of Bane's character is his obsession with Batman. And we yes. saw in Joker how they had to fold themselves into a pretzel to try and get him involved in the story somehow. So how do you do that again? Do you, I mean, if he is just the villain in Batman 2, fine. But if it's his own movie, how does it not end with him being like, oh, hey, there's this Bat guy in Gotham. I got a real hard on for him. Like, that's... I mean, you kind of... I mean, I don't want to do a screenwriter's job for them because, you know, <laughs> lazy and not getting paid for it. But, like, um, you kind of just deal... I, I would do it just, like, as the themes of not having the movie be about Batman, have it be about this guy who's obsessed with going from this place of weakness and vulnerability and being alone to kind of having a power in his own family around him in the form of a gang, you know, what like that. And at the end you kind of just present now that he's kind of like on his ego high that he is the man. You're like, well, there is this other dude out there who's actually like no criminal can stand up to. And, and he's just like, Oh, and then you're like, that's your kind of set up for that. But um, Nicole that brings us to the, Oh yeah. Let's, we're going to get Nicole thoughts and I, and Nicole, you can transition us into the next subject is, would you rather see this or is the Batman sequel a Bane appearance, even a better option to you? I think the way you've kind of laid out the idea of your concept of how a Bane movie would work, I would watch that. I would absolutely watch that, but I would want to see that not as Bane. Um, so I think that giving Bane his own movie, again, he's he's not, someone's going to say he's their favorite villain, but he's not like the top villain that I think should theoretically have his own movie. Um, and I do think it'd be hard to fold him into the larger Batman story. Because um, you want that connection. People are going to come out because of Batman in addition to him being Bane. Being Bane. Um, but that said, as a villain in a sequel to the Batman, I, I would be willing to check that out because he does have, you know, he makes for an interesting counterpoint to Batman because Batman is, you know, unbeatable and no one can really stand up to him. And then there's Bane. And, you know, we've seen Bane. Bane breaks Batman's back. So I feel like as a villain in a movie with Batman, he's much better suited to that than being on his own. So the same question, I guess, how would you fold? Because we know that by for, we don't know anything about the Batman story for sure, but mm -hmm. all hints and intents and purposes seem to point towards it, picking up that whole Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale kind of year two era, which built off Frank Miller's year one and where we got the long Halloween and dark victory and that people have always gone back to the, that era and revisited mm -hmm. it, and added more story later as well. But that seems to be where they're kind of aiming their, their sites. It's not Batman begins, but it's like the next right. it's like Batman year two. Um, so how do you fold Bane into that kind of into that story framework? Because that's kind of early. Isn't it? Well, honestly, how do you, it is, it, you're correct. It is, it is a little early for that kind of setting, but at the same time, the nature of comic books is constant reinvention. Um, we see that with every character and across the board, regardless. And I think that, you know, theoretically you could take the concept of Bane and do a little bit of reinvention, whatever that looks like. Um, you know, maybe we give him a slightly different backstory where we maintain some of that, but we shift some of the focus of his story to someone's connected to Gotham somehow. 
you know, we just have to look at, you know, how can that character be reinvented to fit a new story? And what would that say for that villain? Like what, what new opportunities does that present? So I think if they were to put him into that, they would have to do a little bit of tweaking of Bane in general, but they're gonna have to do it with a lot of characters as well. I don't know. I still think it's, it, it would be too early, even in a Batman two, which is theoretically a movie we may not see for 10 years. Right. Uh, but, um, if ever. Yeah. Yeah. If ever. Uh, I mean, well, yeah. They'll never stop making Batman movies, but we'll see. Um, uh, I, I don't know. It's, I, I didn't mind the backstory or the character for the most part that, you know, they created in, that Nolan created. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was used incredibly poorly. I, I know I get everyone likes to make fun of the joy, the voice, but I, I loved it. Um, I'm with the ending there. is what drives me nuts with that. Yeah. Like, like you know, it's, yeah. And, all this so build like, and then nothing. So clearly there's something that they can do with that character. Uh, but I would, you know, following just some Batman stuff, like Batman doesn't come into contact with Bane for a while. And so to have like, you know, Kofi, like you said, to have him cross paths pretty early with Batman is a change. Yes. But I think I'd rather see more development in that era, uh, you know, potentially with, with some other character. Like I just, I want to see a, a, a good serious take on freeze. Like that's, I've, oh, I've yeah. always, I've said that for forever now. And so, and, and honestly, like if Matt Reeves does another one, uh, does another Batman movie, he's like, he's the one I want to tackle the, the freeze uh, of it all. But people like Bane. Well, yeah. I mean, I, in the, in the Batman, I would love to see Victor freeze and kind of like really the animated series kind of version of Victor. Mm-hmm. Freeze, like really. Um, and all the stuff they've added with like the Waynes and the Nazi past of the Freeze family and that whole twist and all that stuff. The White Knight thing, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. all that stuff was, uh, that, that stuff's pretty interesting. So but even I, like, I know we're going to talk about Harley Quinn later, but like even the way that they handle that character in Harley Quinn mm-hmm. is, you know, there are some aspects of the character that I just love. But. Yeah, but um, I still think like, I, I don't want to see Bane back in like a Batman sequel. That's too close to the Nolan stuff for me right now yeah. still. Still too soon. Um, Let me ask y'all if you would you if you hate this idea. What if they introduce Bane and his Venom addiction to kind of as kind of a backdoor introduction into the storyline from Arkham Asylum, and we finally get an adaptation of that game into a movie? And it would be amazing. I mean, that's always a possibility. I mean, anything. I'd watch it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm watching. I'd watch that for a dollar, but. Uh, yeah, but uh, we'll see what's happening because you know, there are so many things. I think the point we've kind of landed on is there are so many other villains you can right. probably do stuff with besides going back to from Joker to Bane, Bane to Joker, Joker to Bane. Um, so we'll keep an eye on what's going on on the Batman front. But we're going to move on. So this one was just a quick question that I thought I'd toss into the room and see what kind of answers we got. Uh, you know, we're trying to figure out how movie theaters are going to reopen and when – how and what is going to be the new reality once we all have the opportunity to go back to a theater um who what movies are going to make us risk our lives and all that stuff and you know one of the questions that is kind of in society and i'm not going to get too crazy about this socio-political but uh just boiling it down to movie theaters is will movie theaters kind of require require viewers to wear masks for during like the movie um 
and Cinemark has already come out and said, nah, like we're not, we're not going to do that. What do you guys think? Do you think it is uh, that movie theaters? And the reason I ask about movie theaters is, is this is not quite the same as like a personal freedom conversation about every day, like walking around because a movie theater is a, we've all been in movie theaters. We don't, we don't have to pretend. We all know how gross a movie theater is. We all know, like, you know, even though they have those impressive fans all the way up there and all that stuff, that it is just one big kind of Petri dish in there. Um, and that, that's just what it is. So do you think it should be a kind of a unique place where it's required to wear a mask? Or do you think like people are just going to do when they're going to do when the lights go out and this is just pointless to, to fight and you're taking your chances if you go? I, I think there's another of uh, there's a number of measures that movie theaters can take um, to help limit the risk. I think you know I, it, until there's a vaccine, I think it it, it would yeah. Be, and let's just say the caveat we've already talked yeah. about here is right. Like, the electronic, a lot of them are electronic and assigned seating now. And yep. you can, but like you can put, you can manipulate you can, that. Easy. You can put up, you know, plastic dividers, I would say, you know, in, in between seats. You've seen them do it at uh, restaurants. You've seen them do it uh, at, um, you know, gyms. You've, there, there's a lot of precautions that, are, that are, are being put into place that I think the movie theaters need to implement first before they even consider letting people back in. I mean, that's a good point because it is always a, how do you try to manipulate these situations to lower risk versus personal freedom of the consumer? And like, yeah, I mean, just going with masks and nothing else is just relying too much on the goodwill of the consumers to do because it is a movie theater and people do things, for instance, like eat and drink and, Take so off their shoes. Are, yeah, take up. Yeah, uh, like <laughs> it's. Right. Uh, but um, yeah, no, but um, yeah, and so those masks are coming down. So I think you may kind of have hit that nail on the head, Jim. Like you, it, before we leave it to the question of the masks being our only line of defense in the movie theater, um, the theater should probably do some stuff. Yeah, I mean, in France, you've seen those pictures. People are going out to eat and basically becoming like partway bubble boys and girls to kind of go out and have dinner. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I think we could put up some dividers. And you know what? Some dividers that are not see-through, that are well-tinted and blacked out between seats could be a great addition to movie theaters in general. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's like that. You know, you make it retractable, but uh, it's just like, yeah, I sit down next to you. I don't know you. You look like you might be on your phone or something. (laughs) You know, we and then we have no problems. It might even solve a lot of problems in the movie theater. Yeah, because that's the one thing I hate. Where like I'm sitting in like I'm sitting in a row, and then someone takes their phone out a couple seats down, and like you know you, you see it out of the corner of your eye. If there yeah. is a a tinted blinder there, boom, problem solved. I don't yeah. have to get mad at that person. I just think I like this idea now just for that, just for <laughs> keeping us just distant in movie theaters in general. Because I, I mean, I'm a person who. I, from an early age, I was willing to go into movie theaters alone and watch movies. Um, yeah. And even when I go with people, like, I'm just like, you know, I'm hyper-focused. Yeah. Um, there, so, there's just, there's so much contact 
that happens at a movie theater. Yeah. Just think of it, right? Like oh, picking yeah. up picking Dude, up a box of candy. I lived in or, New York and I went to those AMC's on Times Square. Yeah, shut down for the rats and the bed bugs and yeah. I mean, it's but just, you know, I mean, you're you're pushing situation. you're pushing buttons on the soda fountain machine. You're you know grabbing you know you're 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 touching napkins, uh, salt shakers. Like there's a ton of stuff, and so like movie theaters just need to figure out a way to avoid all that. Like maybe it's just you know you just get salt packets that they they put into thing yeah you i mean don't, you don't touch candy and yeah fast food restaurants are going through the same thing it's like we yeah. read the article about how they're going to probably take away a lot of soda fountains self-serve mm-hmm. and it'll be either be like an employee there it's just behind the counter and here's your cup i mean they'll just probably do like seasoning will probably kind of be the same thing it'll just be yeah yeah it'll just be kind of here you want more salt i'll, I'll, I'll shake it out for you like here you go like yeah. i don't know but uh yeah so I think we can put this one to bed. I think we just solved a social problem. Like we did roast to begin with, like, and we didn't want to see everybody else next to us. So theater chains are going to have to invest in a little bit more of that booth seating. We should all go back to the seventies and get those crazy retro chairs, like, uh, like the big bubble chairs. I want, I want to see yes! drive. I want to see drive-ins make a comeback, man. Yeah, Yo, I would love like, that. See, my How wife's cool. hometown has still had her drive-in, and we went to those like very early on, and we were both just looking at each other like. And everybody was, we were like, we all effed up, like closing down this drive-ins. We were all laughing, but we all messed up. Like we need drive-ins back. <laughs> like for real. Like, yeah. Put up those lots in a screen again. And like, you know, give me a There's one not too far away from me that did a, um, did a double feature uh, that did Frozen back to back. And so I, you know, I mean, I've seen Frozen, both of them time and time and time again, took my kid to it. She had a blast. Like oh, dude, she, she, fun. Yeah, she had a you know a lot of fun with it. So I was like, it was a double feature. It was tri- Vin Diesel's Triple X and uh, Dana Carvey, uh, the Master of Disguise, or whatever. Oh, I'm was. sorry. Wow, <laughs> that's a choice. Yeah, it was. It was that me and my choice. wife on one of our. It was like a very early date of ours, and we were really there for Triple X, which was the second one. But uh, <laughs> we were still all riding the high of the Fast and Furious at that point, and we thought Vin Diesel could do no wrong. Boy. What a, what a different world that was. All right, so moving right along, uh, we solved that problem with movie theater, so we're going to jump into talking about Star Trek real quick because uh, oh, Rich says we need an ad break, so we got to pay people. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about Star Trek, and then we're going to deep dive into Stargirl, Harley Quinn, and NXT TakeOver. All right, so we paid some bills. We're back. William Shatner has said he's willing to return to Star Trek as Captain Kirk, reversing the bold statement made by William Shatner back in March, saying Captain Kirk was, and I quote, pretty played out at this point and kind of indicating he won't come back. Man, what a difference isolation makes, right? Like quarantine changes everybody's mind about the world. You know, now... Coming back to Kirk, not so bad. Um, so he said he's willing to come back, but he does have conditions. So, like, let's just go over what Shatner said. He basically said, you know, he would come back if they wrote it and made it reasonable. I'd love to revive Captain Kirk. I wouldn't, but I wouldn't, he wouldn't do a whole series. He's not doing that Picard action. Like, he's not coming back for Star Trek Kirk in any kind of way. Um, if the role was written properly, it wasn't a cameo or gratuitous. Just being there to show my face, I wouldn't do that. So... He doesn't want to do a whole series, but he doesn't want to do just a kind of gratuitous cameo. 
So basically what he wants to do is, in, you know, to translate William Shatner, is basically he's saying, I would do something more like Generations again, right? Like where he had a featured part in Star Trek Generations in that storyline, but he wasn't, had, he didn't have to do Carrie the whole way himself. It was still a next-gen movie, but he had a big part in it. And so we were kind of like just thinking about what kind of cool ways. And the cool thing is about this is, you know, both Star Trek shows that are out now, uh, Picard and Discovery have both kind of invented ways that could explain how James T. Kirk is still kicking around or could show up again. Uh, Picard could have him in a flashback because they met and had this like, you know, bonding experience in generations before Kirk died in that movie. Um, you know, people are becoming androids and Picard and surviving. There's all that and kind of getting reborn as since. Uh, Discovery is a time-traveling ship and can go kind of anywhere and could run into James T. Kirk in his elder years and, you know, kind of play with the generation's continuity like that. But I thought, like, the most fun thing for me, uh, and I do want to see, Cap like, William Shatner back in Star Trek because Star Trek is having a resurgence. And, like, how do you do this without William Shatner at all? You don't. Um, mm-hmm. Would be... So Star Trek, they announced a couple months ago, the third series that's coming to CBS Interactive, that excellent streaming service, is Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is basically a spinoff of Discovery um, and follows the crew of the USS Enterprise under Captain Pike and that crew that existed before James T. Kirk took over for Pike in the original series. And that's how the original series of Star Trek began with uh, Kirk taking command of the Enterprise, Spock having a problem with it, um, and everybody because they love Pike and and we went from there. So this new show will be kind of recounting the adventures of Captain Pike and, and a younger Spock and, and number one, and eventually I'm sure Uhura and all those people that we know. And so like, how do you kind of fit Kirk into that? I would, I would love to see that show framed almost like how I met your mother style. It's like somebody telling the stories <laughs> of Captain Pike and stuff and just have these intros that were like William Shatner's Captain Kirk like if he's just in a bar or something like just talking to friends about like who Captain Pike was and like why he was so special in his life and meant something and, you know, telling stories of the enterprise before his time, he'd be a great kind of intro narrator to each of the episodes, like just kind of talking. And then you kind of obviously flash back to the cast and stuff. And that was just one cool way. Where would you guys put William Shatner back into Star Trek? I want to hear your thoughts. Wants to go first. well, I, I don't hate the the, um, the narrator idea because I think that could be fun. Um, but I'm probably that person who's in the rare minority who is perfectly content with Shatner's Kirk not coming back. Um, that's just me. Um, so for me, it would have to be something where, you know, the How I Met Your Mother style, which I think would be fun. Nicole, I'm actually with you on this. I think... Uh, I'm not alone. I've really, I've really stacked this deck against... I, like, I, I have done a great job. I, see, here's the here's the thing. You know how in in Picard, everyone's looking at Patrick Stewart like, God, he looks so old. How is he getting around to do anything? Shatner's got ten years on him. Yep. So, what are we doing with that guy? I just yeah, but I love Picard, and, I, and it's and. But the point yeah. of that show is that I Picard yeah. just had to chill and talk. That's all yeah. he's <laughs> rolling around like he doesn't look. He he's just he around going, I'm so old. He dropped gems of wisdom. That's what he did, and that's yeah. like, and that's why we love Jean Luc. Yeah, but that's a, that's, a, but like that's the re- that's the thing, right? Like, right. you expect that from Jean Luc Picard, and that and that's why Picard works. Like Picard was mm-hmm. just a a 
you know, it was smarter for all intents and purposes. Like just, you know, as a, as a character and as a captain, I, I don't know what you, you get from a, you know, a Kirk that returns other than, I mean, obviously it would be a huge, you know, it's huge nostalgia bait. And, and of course, you know, it's, it's that stuff works, but I don't know where he fits in, in Trek today. I like, you know, outside of, you know, like you mentioned the, the narrator role, I think the narrator role is pretty cool. Uh, I mean, it, it would it be great for him to come back as a, like in a cameo of some sort. Yeah, fine. But I think that probably works more or better in a film than it does mm-hmm. anywhere else. I don't think it's, you have him come back for, I could see a, him doing a, a multi episode arc, like an arc. In yeah. Like I, I could see where, Discovery time travels to something and they have like a two tops three episode arc where they're with Kirk or something like that. You know what I mean? I just want to know what kind of money is being left on the table to not try and not get like a Picard, Kirk, even, you know, Pike or or maybe or um, or just something just like all of them together would just be nuts. (laughs) That money is just, just think about it and it's like, No, go ahead. I'm sorry, Connor. What's up? See, you're fine. The thing is, we already got the old generation, like, giving the hat tip to the new generation with uh, Leonard Nimoy showing up in 09 and Into Darkness. Like, we've already done this. All right. we're doing is just retreading what we've already retreaded if we're still bringing these guys back. Well, I mean, we also had literally a movie called Generations that was a passing of the torch movie from... And that movie's how old? Very, very old. Like, very old. I have to look up the exact date. Man, I thought I'd have a lot more enthusiasm for this idea on this. <laughs> so we're going to move on. Right. Um, the reason, and my thing about the narrator, I'll just say the caveat is, I don't want to see James Kirk return for, like, any kind of serious dramatic arc, unless it's something like they did at Picard with, like, Riker and Deanna Troy. Because that, I mean, they did some real serious stuff with those two characters. And, yeah, and if you could get that out of Shatner, great. But I would have him back to play in like the winking humor and fun because that's what people really want and have been complaining about Star Trek is you want the fun back and you want the kind of campiness back. So that's why the narrator thing of just using his weird cadence and delivery and to kind of introduce episodes and capture that nostalgic feel, that, that's harmless. So I don't want him to come and do anything serious. Let's just, I just want to make that clear. They, right. Would you be okay with an alternate universe, Kirk? If that's how they, they bring him in? I mean, yeah, like I said, Discovery does all that stuff. Right. Discovery's blown the doors off. It can do time travel. There's an entire evil universe. Evil Kirk from the, uh, yeah, if they brought the, him the from universe. the, uh, yeah, from the Mirror Universe, that would be the Terran Universe. That would be amazing if he was just like some Grand Admiral crazy, let him choose scenery. Like, you know, Shatner <laughs> loves that. Play to his strengths. All right, so let's move on into our deep dive today. And uh, we're going to hit DC Universe on a double front. We're going to talk about Stargirl and uh, Harley Quinn season two. Uh, Nicole, why don't you take the floor and tell us all about Stargirl. I just finished episode one because like I said, I slept on this and um, I have some interesting feelings about this. This is the most interesting production DC universe has done so far in my, in my opinion. And all I can say is my initial opinion is it's like in episode one, at least it's just like a weird baby uh, between the uh. Uh, Titans DC Universe Doom Patrol feel and the CW stuff, it's kind of like somewhere an amalgamation of both, which makes for an interesting experience. But uh, Nicole, 
you're one of our DC experts. Break this <laughs> down for us. Well, um, that's an interesting perspective you have on kind of the amalgam of the two. Um, I think you're a little bit right, but also a little bit wrong on that. Um, the nuts and bolts is <laughs> Stargirl is unlike anything else that we're seeing on the DC universe. It is lighter. It is brighter. It's the story of a teenage girl, Courtney Whitmore, who life is uprooted. She ends up going from California to Nebraska. She finds the cosmic staff and becomes a superhero. And she's a teenage girl becoming a superhero and dealing with the big baddies of the Injustice League or Injustice Society. And it's definitely a different perspective than something we've seen in any other show that's out there, be it on the CW or be it on DC Universe. Um, it's got a little bit of a retro feel, like you mentioned in comparison to Doom Patrol, but it is a family-centered, family-friendly type of story. Um, one of the things that we consistently hear about the show is the show is all about family, and that's something that kind of starts to play out once you get past that first introductory episode. Um, it's definitely something that's taking kind of a focus on characters that maybe aren't as well-known or as you know, popular necessarily because we get to see things like, you know, we've got Icicle, which their take is a completely new and fresh take. We're getting Wildcat, but we're not getting Ted Grant Wildcat. We're getting um, Yolanda. So it's a show that is definitely meant to appeal to everyone, but it's also just got a lot more heart and some very impressive visuals for something that is family friendly and meant to be more all ages. It's definitely not your average Arrowverse show, and it's also not what no, you're the costumes look too good universe. to be an Arrowverse show. Oh yeah, and the <laughs> effects <fire>. too. <laughs> well, no, but it's but it's true. It is true. The effects are very noticeably different, and um, Stargirl has a very cinematic look, feel, and sound on the real level. Like every episode has its own score that's done with a full orchestra, and, and you don't necessarily get that in TV. No, and that's kind of what. I was touching on is there are these shifts in the show's first episode where like, I'm a very big stickler for like the difference between TV direction and movie direction. Mm -hmm. um, it was one of my problems that I got, I mean, I got bashed when Avengers came out for saying that I loved Avengers, but Josh Whedon is still very much a TV director and it shows in a lot of Avengers that he's a TV director, especially and, age of Ultron. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in this one, that's what I was just noticing is there's these big shifts between shots and sequences where you're like clearly this is more kind of high budget cinematic stuff and setups that are just right out of the cw playbook like when she goes to school and is having this altercation in in the cafeteria sorry i muted myself um and things like that uh those are straight out of the kind of like the cw feel of the show um but there's also these things that feel what i'm saying like titans and stuff is the DC Universe shows have a have they do have a fixed budget and they do a lot of soundstage work and like a lot of it is like soundstage and green screen and so like a lot of the fight sequences are like that um, and it's like that in Titans and so like things even impressive sequences like I love the opening JSA versus Justice Society mm -hmm. sequence but like a lot of that reminded me I was like okay so this is like just like a doom patrol fight like <laughs> you know to a T the way this is filmed and the, how the effects are put in uh on a sound stage and like you can see it I was like it's not bad none of it was bad I was just like I I couldn't my brain couldn't figure out like how to place this cuz it is so unique mm -hmm. um I was like I was like not quite arrowverse 
because I'm kind of, I mean, and it's also DC, so I'm trying to like, like, what continuity is this? Like, who does it fit with? And I'm like, I don't know. I was just like, I don't know. Um, I mean, Crisis made it seem like it's it's part of that whole kind of like Arrowverse continuity, right? But uh, uh, it is its own unique feeling thing. And I will say that the end of the first episode, by the end, like that ending really did hook me in, and I want to see mm-hmm. the second episode. So you know, mission accomplished on that front. But it is a very unique experience, which I like because. I like that, and one of the things we've always praised DC Universe for is that each piece of the content is a very different thing. Like, you don't... It is all one brand, but, like, you watch Titans and you watch Doom Patrol and and you're happy because you're getting two very different shows that are feeding into you. Um, Swamp Thing was the same kind of deal. Uh, And Harley Quinn, which we're going to also talk about, is, like, the same. And so... I, I like that this is its own thing, and it's well, probably the best thing Jeff Johns has done in live action. So it's good yeah. to see learned along the way. Yeah. The last thing I'll, I'll say before we before we make the jump is like I think the thing that stuck stuck out to me about it is, you know, the thing I love the most about the you know most of the Arrowverse shows is kind of the the soap opera serial nature of um, the way that they break up their episodes, and that's where I feel like Stargirl feels right at home. Mm-hmm. airing on cw at the same time it's got that little extra budget that you kind of always hoped the cw shows you know would get or only get during crossovers um that you've come to expect from from titans i wonder if though the the shifts that you that you mentioned kofi may have come as a result of potentially reshoots because you know, i know they you know they had to do they had to do some mm-hmm. of those at, at some point and i wonder if you know, the reshoots may have happened after they decided to make the CW, you know, the jump to yes. CW. And, uh, and if that were the case, then, um, then it makes sense. But, uh, all in all, it was something that yeah. I totally, I wasn't sure what to expect and it blew away all the expectations. Yeah. yeah it's pretty good. Um, I will and, say this, um, yeah, the first two episodes are different on the DC universe than they are on the CW. There's a little bit of trim for time. So depending on which version you see, some of the shifts do feel a little different. Um, That resolves itself going into the third episode, which is the same across the board. But those first two episodes um, are a little different depending on what platform you're on. So there is a little bit of shift there that's over. Yeah, the DC Universe cut is longer, and it does cut some things, and there's a few tonal <laughs> shifts as well. I just did that just to see Kofi shake his head. Oh, man. <laughs> well um, played. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there are some intriguing, the Injustice Society, there are actual, like, menacing villains. Um, I'm always kind of, I don't know, I'm always thrown by Joel McHale casting. I, I don't know. So, like, him as Starman was kind of throwing me, but I loved all the He's other casting. He's really great in it, though. The casting uh, for that show is absolutely perfect, especially Breck Basinger as Stargirl. Yeah, no, she, Brett Basinger was good. Perfect. Um, and uh, I actually like Luke Wilson very much in it too. Uh, except seeing him and Amy Smart's kind of freaking me out because they both look old. <laughs> and I was just like, what is happening? Like, what happened to the 90s? Like, oh my God, this is like. We all grew up, Kofi. Yeah, I'm we looking all at like. grew up. Old school. Aren't you the stars of old school in, your, in a road trip? Like, what has happened? Um, no, but they both look great. I, I mean, I, I don't, I hope I look as great as they do when I'm kind of oh god how old am i anyway moving on so <laughs> like yeah so it was just freaking me out to see them come back because those are two big like 90s early 2000 stars who i haven't seen in a while and, and now they're playing like older parent types and i was like oh man we're here yeah so that made me feel old but uh yeah now there's a new basinger running around and it's not kim and like yeah 
So thanks, Stargirl, for making me feel old. And that's what I'll end on. Uh, moving on to Harley Quinn. So uh, I actually fell off Harley Quinn season one, not because of the show. It's just because like I kept forgetting to go back every Friday to DC Universe. I'm sorry, DC Universe. But, and so I just fell behind. But then we did our quarantine watch party. J.K. Schmidt kind of got with the creators of Harley Quinn, and we had an awesome quarantine watch party. And he picked a really great episode, which was the, uh, the Pit episode from season two which is now my favorite episode of Harley Quinn. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's an awesome episode where Harley and Ivy poison Ivy get uh, thrown into jail, uh, which is super criminal jail for killing the injustice, get uh, the injustice league. And they get thrown into Bane's uh, pit prison from Batman, uh, the dark Knight rises. And it's a whole thing about how they have to escape from this pit. And it, it, it was hilarious. Right. But, but like, but it's not, but it's not like a deep, dark pit. It is a pit no. where everyone is working on it's, bettering themselves. Yeah, it's like Bane's motivational camp. Like, it's like, yeah. yeah. It's like, like running this weird mo- yeah, motivational camp, like slash yeah. prison in the pit. And it's, it's, it, and they do like, yeah, they have a talent show. They do stand up and they like work <laughs> on yourself. And like, yeah. It, it's and the show's hilarious. I mean, has, the show's full virgin of DC Comics characters is is just skewed. And if you don't know, it's a Harley Quinn is a very much an adult cartoon. It, yes. it is totally rated R. Do not let your kids um, watch this. Yeah, one. do not let your kids Made watch that this. Mistake. And it's kind of led by Kaylee Coco Cuco from uh, Big Bang Theory and Lake Bell. Um, and yeah, and a bunch of other talented voice actors like Ron Fucus and uh, uh, what's his name? Ron Funches is Shark. As King Shark is the best character. I'm just yes. saying. Oh, I Jason love agree, agree. Jason Alexander, but uh, yeah, as the old man. No, I'm thinking of uh, Alan Tudyk. Oh, Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk. Yes. Like Joker and Clayface, and like yeah, even JB Smoove is like Ivy's plant, like living plant, like nice. little shot of horrors guys. Like, but also, but like Tony Hale as uh, Doctor Psycho, and oh other. yeah, that's the other big one, Doctor Psycho. <laughs> Tony is Hale is, like, is amazing. He's so great at that. Yeah, and I keep forgetting it's him because the things he just says is Dr. Psycho is so crazy. <laughs> so well, so, so, so the, the, the Dr. Psycho is the best. Uh, so I was guy. watching it. I was watching it in my office, and uh, you know, he's Tony Hale is, is screaming, and my uh, my four year old daughter walks in and she goes, "Are you watching Forky? Why is he yelling?" And I was like, "No, no, no! Please leave. This is not Forky." <laughs> Yeah, but he's like so subdued in his like when he's in like things like Arrested Development and Veep, he's like the meek guy. Mm-hmm. So this is him cut loose is hilarious. Um, so yeah, the voice cast is so great. Christopher Maloney as Jim Gordon is like one of my favorites. Like, Harley, Jim Gordon is my favorite. Yeah, and Harley Quinn just skews DC characters and lore so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and while also telling like a really good heartfelt kind of female friendship story. And like the Tuca and Birdie fashion uh, between particularly Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. And that kind of really is what forms the center, I think. Like season one was just kind of like a very much the shock and all like, hey, look, we can curse. We can do all these crazy things. And like, here's some outrageous stuff. Here's another outrageous thing. Um, Season two really does settle into kind of finding a core in the characters and the relationships and actually building this arc between like Harley Quinn and Ivy and that whole thing which is surprisingly like heartfelt and oh very entertaining like so yeah. heartfelt yeah and so these last few episodes of mnc and it really has hit its stride in season two um the show in the last few episodes i've just i mean have just been great the whole 
actual romantic arc between Harley Quinn and Ivy has been really great. <laughs> like the pit to the dark side episode to the bachelorette party episode. Kite man in general. Yeah. Kite oh, man. God, I, as kite a guy man. Oh, but, like, I love kite man. But that, that, uh, that bachelorette party episode in particular, I love the fact that they just like invited a random friend that Ivy had <laughs> or Jennifer or whatever. Like it Jennifer. was just, <laughs> It just goes like you know they Jennifer. <laughs> I go by Jennifer now, um, which it's, it's just so is so great and like I love the way I love the portrayal of of Catwoman in this show like the Eartha Kit mm-hmm. yeah. kind of you know meets Tim Burton uh, no not Tim Burton um, uh, oh my God why am not I here? no from uh, uh, Batman the Animated Series uh, oh, um, oh oh my God why am I blanking on his name, Paul Dini, and you're making me blank. Uh, I'm also blanking. Uh, uh, Bruce Tim. Bruce Tim. That's, that's it. Bruce it. Thank you. Tim. Sorry. Wow. Uh, but no, like, like, like that collective rainforest. <laughs> <laughs> we all just but, died. Yeah, it was but like that, Tim Drake. No, it's no that. But like, 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 I love it. That Catwoman's a mix of all of all of those, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's it's Batman '66 Catwoman. It's 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 a whole mix, which is great. No, the uh, references mentioned- to different parts of the lore are what I love. And if you're a longtime yeah. Batman fan, just like Clayface is like animated series Clayface, but he's also Clayface. the actual original kind of mm-hmm. Clayface from the comics, the 1970s actor. Yeah, like yes. that old world actor type. Like all of that stuff is just so funny. Like oh. um, man bad as a lawyer, just like screaming obscene <laughs> stuff in like, bad language. <laughs> Like he's still losing his mind. Like there's just so many great like little things in this show. But even like like the, too, the, go ahead, Connor. Is it too bold to say that that Mister Freeze episode is the best Freeze thing since Heart of Ice? I, I mean, that's what I said. I, was, I mean, I wouldn't say no, it's the I, best thing since Heart of Ice, but it's real good. Um, like that, very good. It, yeah, that was, like that, that episode was an emotional roller coaster because you didn't know where it was going to go. And then when it finally got there, you were, it just, you were like, oh, all right, we're, we're well, doing it was this. very wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, uh, but man, I just, I love this show so much. It's, it, it's a crime that it has not been renewed for a third season yet, but yeah, I wonder I mean, if that's more of that HBO Max kind of just waiting it out thing. Harley Quinn deserves to be seen by a lot more people. And, and like, yeah. it is insane that HBO Max did not like launch with just, tossing that out there mm-hmm. um yeah we still don't know like this whole battle i feel like in the end the shows and the fans are the ones who are going to be losing this weird push pull between dc universe trying to stay relevant and hbo max being the inevitable crushing thing that it's going to be um and yeah because it deserves to see a lot more have a lot more eyeballs so does titan so season does season one though is being aired on sci-fi Yes. Um, which, uh, you know, it, I mean, it's kind of like an adult swim kind of thing where, you know, it's on late at night and it's on a Friday, so no one's watching it anyway. But like to see that, that they're, you know, even doing something like that, I'm like, it gives me a bit more hope that we will mm-hmm. get more. I mean, the, 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 the thing on the, like on the other side too is the first two seasons were probably done back to back. And so it was probably one deal that was done, you know, like I said, back to back. And so I would imagine this, the cast would maybe want more to come back to do it. And so there's probably a whole bunch more backroom politics stuff that, that may be going on that I just hope, you know, 
if HBO Max does become the all-consuming entity uh, of this stuff that they just say, I mean, look, they're going to pay the Friends people how much, how many millions of dollars? Oh my gosh. Let's get more Harley Quinn. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I would just negotiate for like another season and some points on that HBO Max inevitable debut, you mm-hmm. know. Then, then when it hits HBO Max, then you get a renegotiation. But uh, all right, if you have the ability, you should be checking out Harley Quinn. Uh, like Jim said, you can catch it on Sci-Fi. Late night on Fridays, try to catch up with that because that is one of the best things DC has put out and de- definitely one of the best things DC animation has put out in a, like a decade. So mm-hmm. check that out. Connor, you take us on home with Jim oh God, and I totally Nicole. Forgot. I don't we know, Nicole talk might about to get in on this too. Uh, I know. do watch a little wrestling. Okay, okay. there you go. Awesome. So we're going to be talking about NXT TakeOver in your house, which Connor was like making sure I said this whole thing because I was like, can I just call it TakeOver? No, like, oh, you, you can't because they're all called TakeOver. Yeah, yes, it's so. time to talk about Jim's favorite promotion, NXT. <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've got a pay-per-view Sunday. If you're asking what the hell is up with that title, it's based off of a brand of pay-per-view the WWF used to do back in the mid to late 90s. Uh, they kind of stopped it right around the time when Austin blew up. So if you jumped on then. That's why you never saw him. Uh, six matches. Overall, pretty good. Uh, the headliners, we've got Adam Cole versus Velveteen Dream. This is another pre-taped cinematic-type match. Uh, it's going to take place uh, outside in a backlot brawl, although there's a ring set up. So figure that one out. Look, Keep they put a ring on top of Titan Tower, so. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They did. This one's. Just surrounded by cars. It's less cool. Um, uh, we've got Keith Lee versus Johnny Gargano. Charlotte Flair defending her championship against Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai. And uh, the big one that I think a lot of people are paying attention to is Carrion Cross making his debut against Tommaso Ciampa. Good luck spelling either of those names. Um, I got to be honest, and Matt's a little more positive on the show than I am because I've been playing catch-up because I'm covering the other show on Wednesday nights. But um, – from everything I've seen, this, takeovers always good. The, the matches are always great. They always overperform. It always delivers. My only concern is I feel like some of the best stuff they could have put on this show, they've already done these past couple weeks. You had two guys fighting in a new kind of steel cage called a fight pit. It was amazing. Oh, you had so cool. You had the Drake Maverick storyline where, like, you tied in the fact that he got released, wins this tournament, gets to the end, loses, and then gets hired back anyway. Like that, was a really, that was a really emotional moment on Wednesday night. That could have been great on the pay-per-view, but we're not getting that. Instead, we're getting a couple of matches that could go either way, honestly. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a, a bit of a weird card. Um, specifically, mainly for all the reasons that, that you pointed out. Like, I don't know what the, the fallout of these storylines are for for this pay-per-view and i think the biggest problem is is that we're now more than ever i think starting to feel the impact of uh you know the the coronavirus and its effect on on wrestling on on, across all the brands right like nxt raw and smackdown you're starting to see a lot of the same people um for you know going on three months where you know uh, because there are just some people who who live out of state or can't make it to uh the performance center to do stuff and so so they're trying to basically like pair people up and you're starting to run out of combinations uh yeah. and so um and so so it's a bit like yeah like 
that fight pit thing is like had pay-per-view match written all over it. Like that's, you know, uh, uh, an, an attraction for, for lack of a better word. So like to only have one cinematic type thing, which both of those performers are great. And I want to see Velveteen dream win that title. Mm-hmm. Uh, but given the cinematic matches that we've had already, I don't know how you top money in the bank match like, or some of the other ones. Right. And so, or so it's the, not the a stadium knock. stampede thing that we right. just and then saw. You had stadium stampede. And so to have like, you know, a back, you know, a backlot brawl as a, as your cinematic match, uh, you know, as your, your tentpole thing is I would rather just see them in, go at it in the ring. Like it, I don't need the brawl for it all. Yeah. I like, I, I, I don't need the, uh, the the special you know the specialness of that I would re- you know I yeah so that that's kind of where I I'm at with this one like it's there's a lot of great talent involved I don't know if I'm as invested as I as I should be or they want me to be at this point Nicole any thoughts on NXT I'm honestly kind of in the same place with Jim I feel like you know it it's there's there's gonna be some I mean, these are all people I want to see but. I'm not maybe as invested as they want me to be for this. Granted, we'll watch it in my house because that's what we do. But, you know, I'm there Perfect. because as a fan I'm there, I'm going to watch it. But I do feel like there's some wasted opportunities and this is a little lackluster comparison to what it could be. And like, and like the yeah. thing is, like, they're probably going to disappoint us by having some lame oh. as hell uh, in your house entrance. Right, like it's just. Gonna I, be... I think that's going to win over a lot of people, though. Is pe- they want to see the the goofy house set? Right, but is, are they going to set that up? You think? I don't think they're going to do gotta, it. I got to think that set is in storage somewhere, and they could get. It. <laughs> Look, if they do, that's it. They got me. I'm in. Like, that's you know, I'm I am a sucker yeah. for awesome uh, entrances, and I miss them terribly. So, so I'm in for that. And like I said, I mean, it's going to be a great night of wrestling. Hopefully my, we'll get my, surprises. Maybe people will show up. You know, like I said, uh, Velveteen Dream needs to win that belt. And I don't know. Agreed. You know, Adam Cole is you know, on his as long of a reign as I don't think anyone expected uh, at this point. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at. The, the problem, the, the wrinkle I keep running into when trying to predict who's going to win what is that Matt Riddle's already getting called up. We know Dijakovic and Chelsea Green are getting called up. Um, you could call Keith Lee in a heartbeat. Ditto Velveteen. Yep. I don't want them to call up Adam Cole because I'm terrified of what they're going to do with him. And then you, you, it's just it's real hard. And, and I have no idea what they're doing with Finn Balor because we were building up towards this Walter match. That got cut off because of the coronavirus. Now he's kind of sitting in this weird spot where he's a heel fighting a heel who did heel stuff to him. And I'm like, don't you dare try to make him a good guy again. We're not going back. And then we got Charlotte Flair showing up on all three shows. And yet I've never felt like the title has meant any less because. Yeah. No, I mean, Charlotte, Charlotte shows up. It's about her. Yeah, Yeah. sure. But, but Charlotte Flair, it to me is like, uh, is like triple H where they will, they bring out the best or, or a lot of very, very good in their, in whoever they're, they're facing. Um, for sure you know they, they, they're there and there are some folks that um you know are, are are tougher than others but i think you know charlotte is someone who uh is just she's just so good um yeah 
then I don't care where she is. But you know. she's so good. Exactly. But Matt even Matt even point out in the notes, he's like, I need Ripley or EO to take this title back. Sure, I'm right there with them. Oh, for sure. But I'd love to see, but I'd love to see like that happen and Charlotte try and fight back for it. Mm -hmm. Could be something. I just, it feels like the impact of that gets hurt when she keeps showing up on raw and then on SmackDown to go deal with whatever the hell's happened on both of those shows. And it's like, there's stuff on this show that really matters that we need to focus on. But yeah, so that's this Sunday. We'll be covering it live. Um, Keep it locked in to, Comic Books WWE page for all that good stuff. All right. That'll do it for wrestling. And that'll do it for the show today. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. We know it's been a crazy kind of stressful time in the world. And, you know, on top of all the normal stressful things in our regular lives that go on. So we hope we're providing a good safe haven for you guys to duck out, geek out, and uh, kind of connect in with us and others. And if you're just getting into the show during our quarantine arc, we put up new episodes every Wednesday and every Friday on comicbook.com. You can subscribe to our RSS feed. You get regular updates about the show, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platforms. We are on Google Podcasts, Google Playlists, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. You can tell any Alexa, Amazon Alexa device to fire up Comic Book Nation podcast, or you can go to the comicbook.com YouTube page and see our smiling faces in video of the podcast yeah and we have a bunch of those over there too if you want to join the discussion kind of uh pitch us topics just say what's up or anything else you can always find us hanging around the hashtag comic book nation or you can find me at kofi outlaw jim you can find find me at jim biscardi at connor casey underscore cb and And at, at life in polaroid Thank you once again for tuning in. We hope you guys are staying healthy, staying safe, staying checked in with uh, either us or somebody else who cares about you. Don't get too isolated. Take care of yourselves. We hope to see you back for the next show. This is Comic Book Nation, and we'll see you again. Peace. Later.